Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, it's the Jason Isbell miniseries, episode five. We're talking about Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Hey everybody, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. This is a podcast where once upon a time we talked about every Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order one by one, and we will one day again, but right now... We're in the middle of a Jason Isbell miniseries where we're talking about the body of work of Jason Isbell. And quite often, the 400 unit. All 400 of them. All 400 of those units. And uh, so my name is Rob Carmack, and I'm joined here as always by J.B. Clark. What's going on, man? How you doing? J.B., you ready for a seven-mile podcast? Uh, I am ready for a sun pod. How about about a pod stroke? Podcasts and wine. Cigarettes and podcasts. Cigarettes and podcasts. Uh, all right, so uh, we are. Th- this is our fifth episode in, in this miniseries, and we are we're, we're trying to divide up each album by at least uh, two episodes. So we're starting a new album today, and the album that we're that we're starting is the 2009 Jason Isbell sophomore effort. Jason, it's titled Jason Isbell and the 400 Units. So it's technically a self-titled album because it is Jason Isbell and the 400 unit by Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. And this is the first time, this is the first iteration of the 400 unit, which is, which currently is the name of Jason's band. Yeah. And it's, it's like about half the same. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And this is one of those conversations, not unlike what you might have about like Tom Petty, like sometimes Tom Petty recorded as Tom Petty and sometimes he recorded as Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And so, or Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Except Bruce has never, other than the live stuff, he's never released an album under Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Oh, yeah. Isn't that interesting? But it's kind of understood that some are band records and some are Bruce records. It it absolutely is understood, but it's never never credited that way. Yeah. But Jason goes back and forth between Jason Isbell, like his previous album, Sirens of the Ditch, which we've been talking about the last two weeks, was a Jason Isbell solo album, which, as we talked about before, a lot of the backing musicians were members of the Drive-By Truckers. But here, th- because he had started Sirens of the Ditch before his falling out with the Drive-By Truckers, but here, when he had started this album, he was still pretty raw, I think, about having been kicked out of the Drive-By Truckers. So this is really, it- it's almost like a second debut solo album. It- it's almost like Jason saying, I can start my own band. I'll, st- I'll do my own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, he puts together a good band, too. He absolutely does. So this is so this is Jason's second album under his own name, and his first album with the band n- known as the Four Hundred Unit. And so it was produced by Jason and the band, along with future Vice President Matt Pence. I'm just kidding. It's it's a guy named Matt Pence who, as far as I know, is of no relation to the former Vice President. But Matt Pence also plays drums on this record. Who is, and the current drummer of the Four Hundred Unit in 2021 is a guy named Chad Gamble. So the 400 unit in this iteration is not the full-blown 400 unit that we know today. Like guitars on this album are Brow and Lawler, not Sadler Vaden, who is currently the uh, the 400 unit's guitar player. So really... The, the Sadler old- joined uh, on Something More Than Free, which is not a 400 unit record. So Sadler's first 400 unit record was Nashville Sound. It might have been uh, Chad Gamble's too. No, Chad Gamble's on Southeastern. And the Even thing that, is, is like, Derry DeBorha is on all of them. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the two the two members of the 400 unit who are on this album, who continue to be part of the 400 unit, are Jimbo Hart on bass and Derry DeBorha on keyboards. Yeah. 
Um, Jimbo's the best. Jimbo's but, um, but Jimbo's not on uh, S- Southeastern. Chad Gamble and Derry DeBorha are. And then on something more than free, Chad Gamble, Derry DeBorha, and uh, Jimbo and Sadler are all on that record. So Which even, I think is probably why the next record, he was like, you know what? Let's make this a full band record since they've been doing this with me. Yeah. Which which is interesting. And, and it really kind of goes to show like Jason's relationship, first of all, to his own music, but second of all, to the to the the people he collaborates with. And and I would be interested to hear his thought process. And maybe we'll find some interviews where he kind of talks about like how he decides who who he records with versus who he tours with. Because regardless of who he records with, from this point on, when he tours with a band, he tours with the 400 unit. Yeah. So, or like some iteration of the of the 400 unit, which will from here on out be in, in, include Jimbo Hart and Derry DeBorha. Right. And then after this record, basically the full band. And one thing that's cool about his band is it reminds me a lot of the E Street Band, and then the, like they're all full on working professionals like you know like they're all as good as anyone can be in their field and then they're also in this other band <laughs> you know what i mean yeah well not um, not unlike jason's wife amanda shires who has her right, own yeah. like career and well she, yeah we she's didn't also her. In she's, she's in the 400 unit too yeah and, and she joins uh i guess she hops on in southeastern maybe no I'm not sure. I'm. I, I don't know. She's when... not on Southeastern. She's on something more than free. Okay. Yeah. And and then after that, everything under that. So yeah. But, so she is not on this album. Um. They, and they have not begun to collaborate yet. In fact, Jason, I think, is pretty fresh off of his divorce from, um, what is her name? Shauna Tucker from the yeah. Drive By Truckers. Um. So so th- those are sort of the basic facts. It came out in 2009, which is two years after Silence of the Ditch. Um. Jason's still kind of making a name for himself. JB, before we get into the track by track, what are your initial thoughts? How do you feel about this album in general? Compared, you, if you want, you can compare it to Sirens of the Ditch. If if not, you can just sort of take it on its own, just however you want to think think it through. I think this is closer than anything so far to like what he's about to do. Yeah, this sounds more like the Jason Isbell that we know today than Sirens of the Ditch does. Yeah, in fact, like Seven Mile Island has like this little descending run. In between the verses on the guitar, that it, I mean, is if it takes a lifetime, sort of different. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, it's it's re- rearranged, but yeah. Um, and so, like I, so I kind of thought about this like Bruce's magic trick. Like I think after this album, he figures out Bruce's magic trick. Like he glimpsed it obviously on Decoration Day, Dress Blues, TVA, whatever. But from here on out, like he's he's figured the formula out. He's not guessing anymore. You know, and like, I think this record is, is him figuring it out, you know, but it's too, I think the thing about this record is like, it's a little too formulaic. Ooh, and uh, what do you mean? Well, I'll talk about a few of the songs, I think. Okay. Uh, when we get there. But you know what I mean? Like, just a, it's, it's like, uh, this is the sort of most generic version of the song that he could have written. Yeah. Maybe a few times. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what he's so Bruce talks about, like how to take a truth and turn it into a, and like repackage it as a lie to mm. make it more universal. Right. And yeah, that's, uh, 
I think I think Isabel writes a lot of songs that are truths. He hasn't figured out how to repackage it yet. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Well, and I, I was thinking as I was listening to this today, I was thinking like musically, this feels like a a big step towards the Jason Isbell that we know now. Musically, feels like speaking. he's taking some swings and and he's really reaching into his he's he's really relying on his roots. Yeah. Um, and then just like kind of taking some cool swings here and there, which is what is going to ultimately like make him who he is. Yeah. I will say though, that lyrically there's, I, I find, I, I find that lyrically this may be in my opinion, his least interesting album. You yeah, know, that's what it, I was, that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know. I mean, I think they're all cool. No, yeah. But nothing like really stands out a whole lot. You know what I mean? Like these are all three star songs. <laughs> Well, and there's uh, some that I genuinely like the sound of, but like yeah. as I get in, like as I was like looking through the lyrics and trying to find things to like grab onto, I found myself kind of getting like losing interest in in the theme, and I, and I realized, and I found an interview with him with Stephen Hyden where he talked about this album, and he and he said he was just in a really dark space, like he was feeling really raw and like a lot of sour grapes over having bit fallen out from the drive by truckers. He was so a lot of I think a lot of the themes in in this album are kind of like bitter and nihilistic and and i don't i don't know if he i don't know if he takes that to it because th- there's a way to do bitter and nihilistic that is interesting um mm-hmm. and i i don't know that he i don't know that he does that so much i i, th- I think he just kind of keeps I, I i think he's he, he's kind of a raw nerve so musically i think he's doing some interesting stuff but lyrically like as, as i was going through that's as the songs that we're talking about today i found myself thinking like i i'm, I'm not that I'm not that moved by what he's saying or how he's saying it for for most of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I 100% and, agree. And, I, and I, again, I'm not saying you can't do interesting, like you can't do a, an interesting version of bitter and nihilistic. Like I, I really like Nirvana. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah, I'm fine with bitter and nihilistic. Just you know, make it make it interesting. And and I feel like there, there's a lot of stuff here where he's like again, it's just it's the sour grapes are just a little bit two on the nose yeah but maybe i'm wrong as we talk about it maybe maybe i'll I'll find myself being no i agree with you about you know that point um yeah yeah, it's just not quite there yet yeah and and i mean that's kind of it's interesting you can sort of see the evolution of jason as a songwriter like you see like he he was turning in some really excellent stuff while he was with the drive-by truckers but he was only he was only turning in two to four songs per album and then right. he he does Sirens of the Ditch, and you're like, oh wow, yeah, this guy's got some chops. And here, his music, like I, I feel like he really focused on making the music great, and and so he he's he's inching himself towards well, will ultimately become the guy who can make Southeastern. He's just not there yet. Yeah, maybe they you know wrote these in the practice room, and then he kind of scribbled some lyrics. <laughs> yeah, you know, to fit uh, as it went, and then. Uh, and then he took a, you know, and then later on Southeastern, that's when he like sat down with the notepad. Yeah. Well, and in Southeastern, I think, and, and I, I hate to get ahead of ourselves, but in Southeastern, I think he really had something he had to say. I mean, it, it was Southeastern is a case of somebody who like he had some, he has something to get off of his chest. And if he doesn't, he might actually explode, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that always makes for really good art. So it does. Um, all right. Well, do you want to? Any other initial thoughts before we we get into to this album? Or no, let's get into put, it. All right. Cool. So, uh, track number one is Seven Mile Island. Take my body, Seven Mile Island. Lay my head down. 
But it's got some neat lines in it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, and the music's great. Yeah, it's it's very Springsteen-ish. Uh, it, you yeah, know, it, it's there's a river. There's a girl named Mary who longs for a carefree nights before she had a kid. There's some yeah. death imagery. This is very like it. It definitely like steps right out of like the river. Um, I and and you and I. In fact, I texted you because you you know a lot more about the region where Jason is from than I do. But Seven Mile Island is a real place, right? Yeah, it's like a nature reserve. So not unlike the TVA, Jason is writing like about some very specific regional stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it, it's it's located on the Tennessee River in Muscle Shoals, um, and and so basically th- how I read this song is it's 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 about a guy who just can't take it. And in fact, there's a part of me that wonders like, is this a suicide song? Like, is he is he talking about just sort of like ending it all? And it, it feels like the weight of poverty and responsibility becomes more than this guy can bear, you know? And um, it's it, it's a heck of a way to open a new album with a new band, and it's surprisingly upbeat for the subject matter. Um, and so, like, if if as, as we often do, we talk about the first song is like the thesis statement, the front door. And as he's talked about before, like he's feeling really raw about how things went with the drive by truckers. He's fresh off of a divorce from Shauna Tucker, and he's he's entering into this, and he's got this like kind of fun upbeat groove, uh, like that is this song. But there's also like this really dark undercurrent of like I've got all this responsibility. I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I don't know exactly how how like I'm gonna carry it all, you know? Yeah. I, and I think the melodies, like great 10 out of 10 you know <laughs> i do too i i love the sound of this song when yeah. i'm not thinking about the lyrics i think this is a really great song the drums throw me off a little bit but they make it epic but it <laughs> it just feels like uh they added the drums whenever they decided to put this like in a disney western <laughs> <laughs> you're not the, like the kit but the caca <laughs> Yeah. you know like the bit whatever they are the big uh latin percussion instruments in the back <laughs> Well, and the drums are done here by Matt Pence, who is also the, the guy they brought in to help produce the album. So, like, it's not not unlike a, like a Brennan O'Brien hurdy gurdy situation where I'm sure Matt Pence was like, "I've got an idea, drums." You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of epic, you know. So it's cool. It definitely yeah. feels cinematic. It's a. Good, I think it's a good track one, especially for what Jason's pursuing. I think this is one of the stronger songs on the record. Seven Mile Island, fun groove. I, I I like the feel of it. I it, it it makes me want to hear more. Like if I bought if I went to the record store and I bought this and just put it on for the first time, track one would make me go, okay, all right, let's let, let's see what else we got here. You know what? Like, and this could be played on a rock station or like on like uh straight up top forty country station. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we talked last week on our bonus episode about the Flying Burrito Brothers and like the the blurring of the lines between country and rock. Yeah. Know? Like yeah, this album this album does a really good job of kind of following in the Grand Parsons footsteps. Yeah. All right. So the next track, good. No, the next track is no, Sunstroke. Sunstroke. Sorry. Sunstroke. Ahead of Sunstroke. Tell me you walk on water now, but I know who showed you the stones. You pray that I banish my apple. 
I really like the progression in this. Um, I feel like they get more dynamic with this sort of song later on in their career. You know what I mean? Like, there's that growth. Um, like, the thing about this song that doesn't make it interesting is that it kind of stays where it's at the whole time, you know? <laughs> and it's very legato. You know, and so... But but later, you know, they're going to write songs like this that are just incredible because of their sort of breadth. Yeah. Um, also, there's an acoustic lead line that is just like... That just comes completely out of the mix. Uh, I don't know. It, I hate it. It takes you out of the song. You don't like it? No. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I, I'm i not sure I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it like comes out of your ear, you know, like a hair tickling you. <laughs> it's yeah, bad. There, there is something about this song that I, I, I think it's fine. It, this, to me, is like a, like a three and a half out of five. Um, yeah. But... Um, but yeah, there's something about this song that doesn't really resonate with me. It's a breakup song. Uh, there, there's a there's there's a lot of speculation that this song is actually about Jason's divorce from Shauna Tucker. Um, and and the the theme of the song is like he's demythologizing this person, even though everybody else seems to think that she's really great. And and that, that's that, that's an interesting sort of point of view, you know, like basically like I like everybody else still has you up on a pedestal, but but I know better. Um, like that's, I, I would imagine that's, that is common for somebody in that particular frame of mind. And, yeah. um, and, and so it, it's an interesting kind of point of view, but for one reason or another, the song, it just, it almost gets there for me and it just doesn't, you know? Yeah. Uh, I do love the line. They tell me you walk on water now. I know who showed you the stones. Yeah. That's a good line. Woo. <laughs> yeah, he's he and he's kind of getting there with his imagery and his metaphor. I mean, that that's not unlike the the line of the the ghost town line from Reunions. You know, where, oh, where yeah, where he says like this used to be a ghost town, but even the ghost got out. That's one of the best lines, man. It's such a great line, but it's it, it's one of those things that you think you hear somebody say it and you're like, damn, how, like how did he come up with like that's that's so good. How did how has no one ever come up with that before? You yeah. know. And like the the walk on water, somebody showed you the stones. Like that that sounds that's that type of line. So. Like you're already again, you're already sort of seeing glimpses of the songwriter that he's becoming. Yeah, and it's so spiteful. It's not like I know how you do that trick. It's like I know the store where you bought that trick. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it Whew. is spiteful. I mean, really, quite frankly, most of this record is pretty spiteful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and but th- this song, this song is like it, it hits the bullseye on on the spiteful uh, dartboard for sure. There's this band I like called Beloved, and they have this song, Before There Was You, There Was Everything. <laughs> That's such a good Spite song. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should have a have a bonus episode sometime where we talk about, like, top five most spiteful songs. Oh, yes. That's that, that's an interesting... Good Love, Tom Petty? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, well, I was thinking uh, You're So Bad by Tom Petty. That, that's oh, a yeah. good one, too. Um, Tom Petty's got a lot of spiteful songs. <laughs> yeah, dude, he can write a spiteful song. Yeah, he could. Um, the yeah. album here, my dear. Or yeah, the uh, the entire album. <laughs> or mm. uh, "Run for Your Life" by the Beatles. Um, you you really got me on here, my dear. Uh, on a here, my dear kick. After we talked about it on whatever episode a while back. It was on. Yeah, it was on on one of the bonus episodes. Have you been listening to it? 
It's weird, dude. It's good though. <laughs> I I can't do it. I just like that is one of those situations where I'm like everybody seems to love this album and I I just can't get there with it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had to spend some time with it, but I've really wanted to spend some time with it, you know. And, yeah, that I mean that that's a commitment to spend some time with here, my dear. All right, that, so let's let's talk good since we're talking here, my dear. Right, yeah, <laughs> like the the bitterness hall of fame. Okay, so yeah, uh, track 3 is good. You better watch yourself this time Are you waiting in the wrong line? Or kicking off a slow climb? I guess the devil wouldn't have you But you're used to what you're used to You always seem to somehow make it through I know I let myself go this is, yeah, this is another one of those like power punk songs that I was talking about last week. Like, it just, just feels straight out of the, you know, 2005 punk scene, you know, like underground punk scene in church basements. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I think the verses would be fine without the megaphone vocal, you know. Yeah, I... Yeah, how do you, like, sonically, like, what what does this do for you? I would take the, muff, like, that gained out vocal in the verses. It just didn't do anything for me. He's already got a rough, low voice. Yeah. Yeah. But I dig the lyrics a lot. I mean, I, I love the, the music is just super driving, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just really good pop music disguised as sort of punk music. It's, I love it. It's yeah. It's just power chords and you know, octave arpeggios or whatever. So it is pretty straightforward. And thematically it's about a man at war with his conscience. And and the key refrain here is I can't make myself be good. You know, like the idea, which is probably very close to the bone for, for Jason at this point. Cause he, like I said, he's been kicked out of the drive by truckers specifically one for substance abuse, but two for being impossible to get along with. Being and a dick. <laughs> yeah. And and so just the idea of like he's he's at war with himself and he yeah. he doesn't he doesn't want to be the person that he is and he he doesn't know how to like get himself out of that that rut or that pattern and and, and I can't um, make myself do right on a Friday night is such a good line. It's a good line, man. I mean, and even even in this state of mind, he can still write a good line. I don't know why this didn't resonate with me when it came out more. Yeah. <laughs> well it's very i mean this this is a very old idea i mean like if if I, if I can put on my pastor hat for a second like in the book of romans where where paul says what i want to do i want i i do not do and what i do not want to do i do you know and like the the whole idea being at war with yourself and um like and that's basically what this song is this song is jason saying like i, w- I wish i could be the person that i wish i was yeah just this, this, uh, this is like the first few minutes of a, the newest star is born <laughs> where yeah. he gets off stage and he's just got the ringing in his ears and he can't get it off and he can't get his adrenaline down. So he just drinks and drinks and drinks and walks into a loud bar after he finishes singing a song written by Jason Isbell. Yeah. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It, it It's not unlike that at all. Just sort of like, I don't. I don't like who I am, but at the same time, I don't know how to be anybody else. Yes. So, so it's an interesting sort of theme. And again, it's very confessional. Like, I, I feel like this, even though he's in a lot of ways, I think he's trying to tell stories about other people, not unlike Bruce Springsteen, but I think he, he can't help himself from putting himself in these stories and, and becoming the main character. 
Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it's, it's got good. a key change at the end too. Man, it, yeah, there, like there's a, a real big Bon Jovi. <laughs> like so it, it is, it is a um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It, 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 it's one of those key changes that kind of like reaches out of the speakers and it's like, hey. It's a key well, change. Yeah, like, like the guitar solo kind of turns into mush, and then out of nowhere they all come in, and it's a it's a like it's a vocal key change. Yeah. They all come in like in a four part harmony, like I don't know, a fifth up or something. Yeah, <laughs> and a little bit louder. <laughs> yeah, it's an in- interestingly constructed song. Yeah. Um. Well, and then we go to track four, Cigarettes and Wine. Saw her in Roosevelt Spring Where time doesn't touch anything She never did say she could sing But I figured it so I think this is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, you like it? I do. I like it a lot. I think so. Well, and part of it is like back early in the pandemic when uh, he and Amanda were doing these like barn, like they were doing like these little like three song concerts in their barn online. Like there was one that I caught and and they did this song and I was like, man, I've never, you know, I've I've heard this song a hundred times, but like I never really liked it so much. And so like... Um, having having now heard him do it in a in a live ish setting, really especially when it was just him and Amanda doing it, um, I, I I thought it was so pretty. So like that that kind of won me over. Like th- this song, I think more than any other song on, on this album, I think this song stays in the rotation. Um, yeah, this is a great song. C- cigarettes are so poetic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about that before. How, how you yeah. like the, you, you like the imagery, the poetic imagery oh, of a yeah. cigarette? Oh, yeah. dude, yeah. I got a. I recently got a no smoking tattoo on one of my knuckles. Did you really? Yeah, on my like smoking knuckle, so that I couldn't smoke cigarettes anymore. <laughs> on your smoking knuckle. Yeah, like on my middle finger on my left hand, where I would hold a cigarette. That's really funny. But you kind of look like an asshole <laughs> <laughs> if you hold a cigarette next to a no smoking sign. Or maybe you're being ironic. Maybe. I don't know. But the guy who gave it to me was like. <laughs> You can take that mask off. You don't. And I was like, "Oh, I'm good." And then, like halfway through the tattoo, he was like, "More like pandemic." And I was like, "Oh, I can't take my business elsewhere." <laughs> Yikes! You're already halfway into this bad boy. It was great. He did a good job. Word of wisdom: If a person tells you to take off your mask, do not take off your mask. Yeah. Well, I just told him about the COVID patient my wife treated the night before, and that it was more for him than me. Uh, and he was like, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> More like, dang, Demick. <laughs> anyway, cigarettes yeah. and wine. I just love the, yeah, and like the sexy slide guitar in the back. That sounds like cigarettes and wine. You know, like li- just like a little bit of Rhodes kind of behind the beat. Yeah. They really lean into this sort of kind of production later. Like this is them figuring out what they sound good doing. Um, yeah, I it think is. My only problem with this song is that it's like a little bit too factory fit. You know, like the main progression and then like the add nine on the turn into the chorus. And it's like, it's just like a very um, kind of out of the book version of this song. Like they could have just 
tweaked it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, they just do such a good job later taking this song and making it so much more original. Yeah, yeah. The song, the song in, in the live performances has evolved in a way that really, I think, elevates it. Um, and this is another song about self-destruction. Like clearly he's, he's got a, he's got a theme running between Sirens of the Ditch and this, like self-destruction is a thing that he likes to write about. Um, he's got this relationship with this woman in the song. Um, it seems like he continues to be self-destructive. She keeps him anchored in her, her love anyway. And eventually she can't take it anymore. And she quote, left me alone with these pills, you know, which is like, we, we know now that pills were one of Jason's favorite uh, is means of escape. So like, again, feels pretty close to the bone. Jason's feeling pretty self-destructive and he's kind of punishing people for trying to love him through that. Yeah. Do you feel like this could be a Chris Stapleton song? I mean, yeah, but like, I, I, I think a lot of Jason as well songs could be Chris Stapleton songs. It just kind of feels like, um, Sweet Tennessee whiskey, whatever that, or smooth Tennessee whiskey. Yeah, that song. It kind of has that vibe to me. You know what I mean? Like it's just not quite different enough from that song. I can. And hear that, that song is like that song was written to, you know, in the hit machine. <laughs> so, yeah, I can yeah. hear that for sure. But that's a very good song. It is a good song. I like it a lot. Yeah. You want to move on to track five? However long. expected us to but i guess with this Before album and you did say like i don't have as much to say about this yeah and i don't uh, i love that this is like uh this is super hill country like this intro riff is so cool it's very like hill country country you know but it's also very specifically like 2009 indie rock like this town needs guns or minus the bear mm. or like you know, late nineties emo, like Saturday real estate, those guitar riffs. I don't know. It's so weird. I've just never heard this before. You know, I love it. So you feel like this is where he starts being more innovative. Yeah. I mean, this has got some weird indie rock guitar riffs and stuff in it. Um, but it's also got some, you know, uh, like the whole country riff in the beginning, you know, and, and just, I don't know, mixes it all together really well. And it's ultimately like a pretty good pop song, I think. Yeah, it, it's a good song. It, it holds together really well. Um, thematically, it it sort of, it, it kind of plays on, on the other side of the coin from the other stuff. Like th- this one seems to be a lot more optimistic. Like the, the refrain of however long the night, the dawn will break. Um, he, he points out, all, all these things that are broken. He says, things don't always have to be this way. So like, even though like the last two or three songs, like cigarettes and wine and good and sunstroke, like seven mile Island, like he, he's, he's been in some pretty dark places and pointing out some pretty negative patterns. And that here in this space for however long he, he seems to think like, I, you know, I might be able to turn, like there's always the possibility that we, this can be turned around and that we can, you know, find, find a better way. Yeah. You know? 
which is and which which is funny considering what comes next. You know, it's almost it's almost like he has, um, he has this one single like thought process that he he wants to to pursue, and and that this becomes sort of where he becomes the most innovative on a sonic level. I hadn't even thought about it until just now, but maybe that's intentional. Maybe 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 all the things that you're like, man, this is kind of pat, this is kind of rote. Maybe he does that on purpose so that he can get to forever long and be like, ah, but wait, maybe there's a new trick up my sleeve. Maybe I can find a way through that. You know what I mean? I do love the, I ain't afraid no more. Like I, he really does describe it up to this point and then kind of where he's at. See the poet with nothing left to say. And then finally, I ain't afraid no more. Right. Yeah. has that refrain, however long the night, the dawn will break. And he talks about, see the woman with the roses in her hair bringing me loving when it's too much to bear. And then he goes on to say, all I got to do is make it rhyme. So, like, all I got to do is put it on the page. And it'll all work out. <laughs> yeah. And it did. Eventually, yeah, it did. He, yeah. I mean, he, he's been through, you know, he's he's been through the gauntlet. But, uh, but yeah. So yeah. like what what else what else about this song like gets you like do you what 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 makes this song more interesting than everything else that we've heard so far? Um, it's that it's that weird mashup in the beginning, you know, just like taking some weird risks, but it's still got like a great ripping solo, you know. It's just got some fun guitar tones, you know, some fun little progressions that you know, like that's not a thing that he's gonna do a whole lot, you know, but it's just fun. So, yeah, I like I like that he's just kind of going for it. Yeah. Well, then that leads us to track six, which is called Coda. This is an intr- instrumental track, and I have no notes because I don't know anything. It's it's two minutes and eight seconds long, and it's there's no lyrics, so there's no theme uh, to speak of. So, uh, what do you think about Coda, JB? I love that it's. I mean, it's got some of that. I mean, a lot of what he does, I guess, on this record, is what's going to become pretty popular in top forty country later. Um, as he starts to change, I guess, even more. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. The last, it seems like. Uh, every now and then I'll send a new song that I hear like coming up on some country chart uh, to one of my friends who was in a power pop band in college and be like, dude, this sounds exactly like y'all except country. (laughs) Mm. Uh, You know, so he's doing some of that sort of like indie rock, Southern rock sort of to make this big pop sound. You know what I mean? Like, and also just showing off on a guitar. Yeah. Um, It's nice. It, it's all the inter- way up the neck, all the way down the neck. Does the taps, does the bends. It's good. I, th- I think it's really interesting to, to kind of go back to what we were talking about a second ago with however long. I think it's interesting that he spends the first five songs, or he spends the first four songs talking about patterns of like self-destruction. Like, he, I, I'm at war with myself. I, like, my conscience is my own worst enemy. Cigarettes and wine. Like, all these, like, I punish the people who try and help me. And then however long is like, but but maybe there's a way out of this. Maybe there's a way, uh, you know, the dawn will still break. And then rather than go into just another song with another message, he does a song called Coda, which musically speaking, a coda means like if, if you're if you can read music, JB, help me out here. Like a coda is it means 
like it, it's like a tag at the end of something, right? Um, it's been a long time since I've read sheet music, and I don't want to goof this up. Um, typically at the end of a sonata movement that is based on general rules. Well, it, it it's like something. It's supposed to mark the end of a thing. Yeah, it, so it brings the piece. It brings the piece to an end. It's like an ex, uh, it's an like expanded cadence. So, and, and I want to say that it's um, sometimes it's like marked off separately on the music, and so it'll be like two coda at the end, and then you jump down to the coda. So you have a movement, like if you, if you're reading music, you have like a whole section of the music that is like one specific movement, and then the coda is a way of marking this is the end of this particular movement, and now we're going to move into something else, right? Yes. So that's it's interesting here that at the midpoint of this record, he like a, after he's pursued this whole like self-destructive pattern, maybe the dawn will break. Coda, like you know what I mean? Like we, now from this point on, the record is something is going to be something different. Yeah, you know. So it's like he made one like a mini album at the fr- at the front half, and then he put a, he he literally put a coda in the middle of the record as a way of signaling to people who understand music. As a way of saying, like, don't expect the second half of this record to just be exactly the same, like, thought process as the first. You know, we're going we're, we're going into a different movement, musically speaking. Things are about to change a little bit. Yeah. Or are they? Or is it like and that and I guess that's the thing that we'll have to look at next week is does this indicate a change or is this Jason's way of saying, like, everything is on a loop? Like, even when you feel like you've come to the end of something, you're, you're just going to start right back over same pattern different you know different players you know so that becomes the question and i don't know the answer to it so we'll have to we'll have to dig deeper into it next week when we talk about the last half of this album but the, it is interesting i mean it's nice with the with the format that we're doing here it's nice that jason actually like, literally gave us a coda gave, <laughs> gave us a place us a to stop. stop yeah yeah that is very nice so, like, as a whole, like, I mean, let's assume that what we just did, that that's the full album. Let's say there's nothing after track six. Like, this is, like, a mini album. How do you feel about it? Um, oh, is it a mini album? I think it'd be great. Uh, like, a great little, you know, American Beauty EP. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as American Beauty. but <laughs> Well, I mean, you know. Of course it's not. an EP for the ages. There, there's no Hey Blue Eyes here. That's for sure. That is for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I th- I think this is again musically. I think we're we're seeing Jason evolve really well as a songwriter. I think we're beginning to see signs of who he'll become. He's he's putting more stuff on albums that he'll continue to keep in in the set list. Um, in in contrast to what we saw on Sirens of the Ditch, where most of the stuff he's kind of dropped from the set list from that album. This one, there's still a couple that that show up from time to time. Well, and he continues to work with a band called the 400 unit, which is also, you know, indicative of like, this is more of him coming into his own. This, to me, this is almost like a second debut album. Yeah. This is, I mean, I really think this is like when it, he starts pointing to what he's going to become. Yeah. I think that's right. I, I think this is, and, and we'll see that we'll see a little bit more of that in the next album. Here we rest as well, which is like, you think like, Oh, this is what this guy is. And then you hear the next album. You think like, Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that he could do that too, and and we're all we're on a we're on a long steady journey towards Southeastern is really where we're headed. Yeah. Know? Um. 
So any any of these songs of, of the of the six that we've looked at so far, any of these do any of them stand out to you? Are there any that you're like, man, if I ever see if I ever go to another concert again and Jason Isbell happens to be on the stage, here's one I'd really love to hear him do. I think I'd really love to hear Seven Mile Island as the band is currently. You know? I was just thinking the same thing. I would love to hear the current iteration of the four hundred unit do Seven Mile Island. I think that would be awesome. Or cigarettes and wine. Yeah, cigarettes and wine would be cool. Um, I'm absolutely with you. I, I think Seven Mile Island would be a. I, I think that would be a showstopper with with the current with, with the Sadler Vaden version of the, yeah. the 400 unit. Like the way they do Decoration Day, and you're just like, holy cow! Yeah, he's got that sweet slide guitar. Oh, Sadler is so good, and <laughs> when I see him sing like in other places, <laughs> I don't believe that's what he sounds like. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like when he opens his mouth and sings, I'm like, nope. <laughs> just because to me, like, I'm just not used to him having like a lead voice. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way about Nils Lofgren. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're, you can sing back up for Bruce. You can sing back up for Neil Young. You by yourself, that's odd to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with Even you. Even though Nils has a fine voice. Like, He's got I, a great like, voice. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, Sadler's got an impressive, strong voice. <laughs> I'm just like, ah. It's not who I know you as. It's like yeah, a confident that, front man. It's like it's like when your when your parents run into your teacher at the grocery store and you're like, "This isn't right. So yeah. there's, so, there's something not quite right about this. I can't put my finger on it." <laughs> you buy groceries? Yeah. What are you doing outside of that that building that I see you in all the time? That's funny. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I have no final thoughts on that. I mean, we're gonna continue the conversation about this this album next time. So, like. Outside of that, I I don't I don't think I have any sort of like final. I don't have a coda for this. Do you? No, I think it'll make uh, maybe a little bit more sense once we finish the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's um, right. And if you're a patron, we're gonna keep talking Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time. Yeah, we are uh, in the bonus feed. So check it out. It's been fun, man. I'm I'm enjoying this this journey through the Rolling Stone 500. Yeah, I uh, refound an old record that I love um, this week. So pumped. Nice. Well, then, uh, man, I tell you what, let's let's log off here and let's get to it. Let's let's go hang out with the patrons for a little while. All right, let's do it. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. If you want to be a patron, you can join up at patreon.com forward slash Springsteen. Uh, and you can hear all of our all of our bonus content. And if you do that, you can head over to that and listen to that episode. And if not, that's fine. But uh, we'll we'll see you next week, and we're going to be talking more about this same album, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. And I'm Rob. That's JB. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.